This is the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast, episode number 46. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network, the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast. We take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of concealed carriers and law enforcement officers. Today, I'm joined by Tim Chandler from Justified Defensive Concepts. We're going to talk all about the scatter gun, all about everybody's favorite shotgun. First, a word from our sponsors, title sponsor of the podcast, XS Sites. Check them out at XSSites.com. They are a manufacturer of a wide variety of accoutrements for your favorite firearm, primarily uh, night sights, right? Uh, tritium and photoluminescent paint some low profile sites uh and priced very competitively so check them out at excesssites.com ccw safe as always they are a legal service membership for concealed carriers and law enforcement officers the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team and I can attest to that. I know all those guys and gals really well. And if you want 10% off your membership, enter code OFFDUTY10 at checkout, and that'll get you 10% off your membership. EDC Belt Company, the foundation belt, of course, it's what I'm wearing right now. The most comfortable, functional concealed carry belt on the market, hands down. Check them out today at edcbeltco.com, and we will be at the Guardian Conference up there at the Oklahoma City Gun Club, September 17th, 18th, 19th. Like I said last week, I'll be teaching. Uh, a lot of good people will be teaching up there, and the belt company will be there, so come by, try out on a belt. Uh, we'll have a couple little uh, demo rigs there that you can put on and uh Check out one of our belts and, you know, make sure you get the right size. We'll also have them for sale there. So check that out. And we're doing a limited run of red, white, and blue thread uh, for the Guardian Nation Conference only. It will be exclusive there. And if you can't get one there, we'll ship it to you. So, but it's exclusive to Guardian Nation members for now. Uh, let's see. Finally, oh, the Concealed Carry podcast giveaway the links in the show notes got to sign up weekly sign up weekly to get in that uh, podcast giveaway we got i think this week it's going to be a cleaning kit from ready up gear so check that out sign up weekly the more times you enter the better chance you got of winning something cool guy last week won uh some uh, palm pepper spray which i need to get a hold of some of that so Anyway, without further ado, we're going to bring in our guest, Tim Chandler. All right. Welcome to the, the off-duty, on-duty podcast, Tim Chandler. Uh, yeah, we've spent we've spent a couple hours chewing the fat over the years at uh, TACCON, and uh, you've kind of gotten to be known as the shotgun guy. You're kind of like the, the go-to for shotguns now, and... and uh, one of the few that's doing open enrollment shotgun courses anymore. So, um, what better guy to have on to talk about all things scattergun, right? So, so let's start with like, why do you love the shotgun so much? Well, um, 
you may you may have oversold me there a little bit. There there are a couple other guys out there doing uh, some good shotgun work, but what drew me to it is it is today. Um, you know, shotgun smoothbores have been the personal defense weapon that just about everybody's had since essentially the founding of the country. Uh, people think of things like the, you know, the Kentucky rifle in uh, the founding of our country and settling of the West. But the truth is, most people could not afford that. Um, the people who did have it were professional hunters, that kind of thing. Your, your typical farmer, your typical sod buster, uh, they had a smoothbore. And uh, it's been with us the longest, and it was really the gun that helped settle the West. And that was the gun everybody had. You know, when we talk about even at the turn of the uh, 20th century, just about everybody grew up having, you know, about half the country hunted. And a significant number of the country, they shot sporting clays. It was a big thing in Hollywood in the early days. Uh, people shot ski. They didn't play golf. They, they shot sporting clays or ski or that kind of thing. And uh, everybody knew how to use shotguns. So when you took somebody who was coming on to be a police officer, um, they were handed a shotgun because it's a weapon they already knew and knew how to use. That was a long time ago. Um, since then, a much, much smaller percentage of the country hunts. A much, much smaller percentage of the country has had meaningful experience with a shotgun growing up. It was an easy thing because you grew up hunting with this since you were, you know, yay high. Well, now that you're on duty, here's a weapon you already know and you already know how to use here, use this. And it was useful because it's very powerful inside the envelope that your typical police officer, typical citizen is using it, which we're talking most of the problems we're dealing with are even on the extreme end of the bell curve is about 25 yards, right? Mm -hmm. They're usually much closer than that. Inside that envelope, the shotgun works well. You already have people who know how to use it. This is an easy problem to solve. Fast forward a couple of generations and things are considerably different. Yeah. So you, you now have people who have no familiarity with shotguns whatsoever, no familiarity with how they work, and uh, they haven't really learned how to manage them effectively. So you get a bunch of urban college-educated people in who are going to become police officers, and then you hand them the boomstick that they've never used before. And in a number of police academies, I don't know about yours, but I know a lot of them, the very first shot that a new recruit will touch off with a 12-gauge is a full-power slug when they've had absolutely no training on how to mitigate recoil with it. And suddenly people are damaged, bruised and hate the experience and want nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, my, my era, I hired on in 2002. So we're talking almost 20 years and we were, I would say a little late to the party on the patrol rifle game. Uh, we're talking, uh, mass, the, first round of them came out in about 2009 and then mass implementation in about 2016 across almost across the board so not that not that long ago and i grew up in grew up before law enforcement shooting a shotgun and right around the time that patrol rifles start started to get to be really the uh oh kind of the the in vogue thing 
uh, I started seeing ammunition for shotguns become way more advanced than it had been for a number of years. And our recruits, consequently, we have to get them qualified on a shotgun as part of our requirement. And they shoot reduced recoil triple-aught and reduced recoil flight-controlled slugs. Uh, So they don't get that uh, painful experience out of the gate that some of us went through. But but there again, um, it seems to be kind of a lost art in law enforcement work and even back to when i was in the military i was in from 98 to 02 they issued us mossberg uh, 590s brand new at it and three-fourths of our company didn't even know how to take one apart so i i got to become kind of the the sme on that real fast but but most of those kids were you know had grown up pretty urban and had not really done any wing shooting or anything like that and they associated big bore hurt bad and had no idea there was other payloads available and things like that and it was really a kind of an interesting time but but yeah it's, right that, I've, that, that actually is a really good uh really good look at how things typically were right one of the things, because of how shotguns got integrated into defensive use, it was what everybody had. And so most institutional programs, by that I mean typical law enforcement academies, even the military, um, their training depended on people already knowing how to use shotguns. So they didn't have really from the ground up programs, of let's build a really capable shotgunner it came from an idea of you already know how to use this. Here's some basic fan fire stuff to just prove that you won't do anything stupid with it. And then we'll drive on. Right. Right. So to, to quote my buddy Ashton, the vast majority of shotgun programs out there were kind of like they're reaching in a drawer back where the cobwebs are. They pull it out and go, okay, we're going to do the shotgun thing now. Um, <laughs> I, we just did shotgun 360, which is our sort of like, um, I don't call it a master class, but it is, it pretty much would show you what the path of mastery would begin with this shotgun. Uh, and we talked to a number of law enforcement guys in there and, uh, you know, their academy experience was they had four hours on the shotgun that was basically fan fire. Um, I know of programs here in Virginia where, you know, you're essentially fire five rounds as fan fire and you're good to go on the shotgun in in some of the academies because that was all based on the old idea of, well, people already know how to use these things and you know how slow institutions are to change and how reluctant they are to change. Uh, Your patrol rifle example is a great example of how long it takes for new ideas and new concepts to show up. And so right at the time you have very little training that's quality for people and then right at the time where better equipment shows up that solves some of the problems for shotguns in law enforcement, well, now we've phased them all out. And we're all going the patrol rifle route because we've got a bunch of people who are coming out of GWAT. And the only exposure they've had to shotguns typically is as a breaching tool, if that. Um, it's, it's really, really, really sort of comical. So shotguns were never taught well to start with. Right. Because it was assumed knowledge and that just kept being good enough. 
And now it's gone from not being taught well to just not being taught at all. Right. So that leads people to wonder, and I see this all the time, you know, shotguns are essentially useless for anything but bird hunting. And uh, no, that's, that's not quite accurate. Right. Uh, there, there've been a few people out there sort of preserving the idea of shotguns as a defensive weapon. Tom Givens is a good touch point. He has maintained for his entire instruct, uh, instructor's career over 40 years now, the shotgun works extremely well at the thing that most police and most citizens need to do, which is very close range, stopping a threat. Right. Uh, when we, when we press the trigger on a, on a firearm in self-defense, we are trying to make that person stop doing whatever it was they were doing that made us have to shoot them in the first place. Um, those of you out there who do have some law enforcement experience, if you've had the unfortunate need to use your duty weapon on duty, or if you've been in the military and you need to actually engage at close range in fights, um, that generally isn't happening with a single trigger press, is it? It is usually something where you're going to have to deliver multiple projectiles on target to get the intended effect. And there are a lot of reasons for this because it turns out it's kind of hard to stop a human being who's been on violence from completing an act of violence against you or another person. A shotgun properly loaded delivers multiple projectiles with a single press of the trigger. And that's not magic. It's physics. Uh, if we think of tissue, all tissue stretches, some tissue stretchier than others, right? Your skin is very stretchy, your liver, not so much. When we put multiple projectiles on about the same piece of anatomy at about the same time, each one of those projectiles becomes a pressure point. And at each pressure point, that tissue's ability to stretch is then divided among each of the pressure points. So if I've got nine, if I've got say a hundred points of stretch on a particular piece of tissue, and then I challenge it at nine different points, each one of those points now takes some of that stretch potential. And so that hundred points is divided up again along those nine points and each point can stretch maybe 10 points now instead of a hundred. Right. And that's where tissue starts to tear much more readily. So it takes elastic tissue like your skin and makes it inelastic like your liver. It takes inelastic tissue like your liver and pulverizes it. Yeah. You get far more loss of blood. You get far more tissue damage by that effect. And the end result is it turns into a massively effective weapon. Uh, to, to be perfectly honest, there's nothing more destructive we can lay on somebody at close range short of talking about ordinance. Right. And, and go ahead. That uh, it's interesting. You know, you talk about the uh, being kind of late to the party with trends and stuff like that. That was a very fortunate thing in the era that I came in because everybody was obsessed with shotguns because we had no other alternative. So right. we had a really good, uh, shotgun operator school that they put on a couple of times a year. And then our firearms instructor course was very detailed and very in depth and very performance heavy with shotguns with all different payloads, you know, running buckshot at 10 yards to slugs at 200 yards or more. Uh, so it, 
I kind of came in in that era where it was like there was still a really good appreciation for it. Um, the The problem in that era was there wasn't, uh, you know, a Magpul stock. There was very few flashlight mounted fore ends. There was leather slings, and that was about it. And so, you know, we had to kind of learn how to shoot shotguns with an SL twenty in our hand. You know, so it was it was a kind of a formative experience, but. Uh, one of the things that really stuck with me was I carried it. I carried an 870 with uh, loaded with triplot because I want to say triplot pellets are somewhere about 34, 35 caliber. Yeah. Am I? Uh, yeah, that's right. And then double lot is really close to nine millimeter. And I thought, man, hitting somebody with nine pellets of basically nine millimeter, really close to nine millimeter. That's pretty devastating, especially at the velocities that that most of these things run out of a eighteen or twenty inch barrel. And then uh, I was a geeky enough that I carried an eight seventy with with uh, buckshot, and then I carried a Benelli Super ninety because we didn't have a uh, rifle program, and my Super ninety patterned really, really well with slugs that I carried a. Uh, super 90 loaded down with nine rounds of slugs and i never felt outgunned with that but um but that was just the era so and now a lot of that that people have kind of hopped off the shotgun bandwagon it's like man there's kind of a heyday of shotguns for equipment and being able to uh like you said address a lot of the issues that we had with you know like length of pull and you know being able to mount a light or an optic or decent sights on one. Uh, the first shotgun I ever qualified with was an 870 Wingmaster that had a bead on the front. So, right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was always kind of fast. Or you, you answered a lot of questions for me there as to why did why was it just kind of the thing, you know? And it, well, I'd, I'd never thought about kids in the 50s probably grew up with one. So absolutely, absolutely. And, and you hit on some issues that that were not ideal for for using a shotgun. The typical shotgun used in a typical police department. It, there's not a lot of intelligence going on behind this. They're issued with a 14 inch length of pole with a bead sight. And that's because, well, that's what shotguns come with. Right. And that's cool if you're a dude that's over six feet tall. And that bead sight is a really great idea if you're shooting bird shot at a bird where you're firing a pattern that's 10 times the size of the bird at 30 yards. Right. Right. This is not what's happening in police work, uh, especially as we got more into your hiring. You know, it used to be that if you were hiring somebody to be a police officer, you were hiring a male who was in good shape and who was probably farm strong at a minimum and who knew how to fight. When you start hiring females, when you start hiring more and more urban folks who have very little grip strength, this is something as a pistol guy you, you encountered, you, you always know when you're dealing with somebody who works with their hands for a living, right? Right. Because you don't really have to tell them very often how hard they need to grip a pistol. They grip it like they grip the, you know, the mall that they use to split wood or grip it like they'd be gripping the wheelbarrow full of cement. that They're running up a two by four at an angle and get it up there. 
when you tell them to grip the gun, they're applying more than enough force. Uh, not so much when somebody's uh, experience has been playing with a Nintendo or a PS4 or something, right? So that's who you were hiring. Now, when you start hiring other folks, that length of pull becomes a serious issue because the longer the stock is, the more it forces the gun out towards the edge of their body. So instead of the gun, like with a, a good setup on a defensive shotgun, because shooting a defensive shotgun is very different than wing shooting, something people don't realize. Instead of being able to get the gun like up on my pectoral muscle, up on my chest, it pushes it out there to right about that uh, tender spot in the tendon between your deltoid and your bicep, right? And that sensitive little spot where there's blood vessels and nerves and tendons and everything, that's where the gun sits. They're cranked down on the side of it and they press off a shot of a full power slug and their stance is bad. They don't have the gun held deliberately against their body. So it gives the gun an opportunity to accelerate into them. And then it hits the limit of the movement of attacking that shoulder joint, that little spot there. And then it starts to come up and smacks him in the face. So they end up with a right arm with a shooting arm that's practically limp because it hurts so bad. And they end up with a nice, nice little goose egg under their eye because it smacked him up in the cheek. And all that's just because of how ill-fitting the gun is to them. And the bead sight, uh, a bead sight on a bird gun works. But if we chop 10 to 12 inches off that barrel, suddenly now to actually use that bead sight effectively, at least on a pedestal bead, which sits higher, you have to drive your cheek into the comb of the stock hard so you're seeing a proper bead sight picture, which almost nobody does. So they end up shooting high all the time because they're not pressing their head down hard enough. They don't realize that flat on the receiver is supposed to be your rear sight right. when you're using slugs or buckshot at close range. So there's that solid, well, you need a belly button hole with a shotgun because if you aim at their belly button, you'll hit them in the chest. No, no. <laughs> That's because when you look at the bead and you see the bead on some of these things, especially ones like the Mossbergs and stuff where the bead's right down on the barrel, if you see the bead, the gun's actually angled up. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that makes it very difficult if you don't have the experience behind the guns because you've been using it since you were six, it makes it very difficult for you to use it effectively in the defensive context. Somebody who's had that experience, I can hand them the gun and they can figure it out if I give them enough range time. And sadly, that's what most institutional training is, right? It's lightly supervised range time where you have some ammo and somebody yelling at you, focus on the front sight, and you figure out kind of what you need to do. It's not really super super intelligent in how it's structured. But when you combine all that together and then you have the accountability issues because you mentioned something that is extremely rare, you actually patterned your shotgun, right? Mm -hmm. You saw how it zeroed with slugs and you actually patterned it with buckshot. Uh, I can't tell you how rare that is to actually encounter because most of the time when I have law enforcement guys that show up to class, I ask them, so how many times have you patterned your department shotguns with your department's issued ammunition? I have yet to find a department for somebody who says, Oh yeah, we did that because every shotgun, like every rifle likes its own type of ammunition and every two shotguns produced the same day from the same factory can have wildly different preferences on how they shoot a particular slug or particular buckshot. And yet you've got, 
100 shotguns and here's the buckshot we use and here's the slugs we use. Okay, have you patterned it in those guns? And the answer is almost invariably no, they have not. Well, you're so, making me feel very spoiled now because yes. be, being over six foot one, they all fit me really yes. well. So uh, I never had that that battle, although as an instructor, I've seen that movie so many times that it's like, man, if I could shave a half inch off the length of pull of this gun, this person would be just evil with a shotgun. Um you know, my agency later on purchased 870s with rifle sights. And then uh, I always lent towards the old M1 Super 90 because it had what looked like pistol sights to me yes. that were barrel mounted. Um, and I haven't found anything I like better for a combative shotgun. I've tried ghost rings and everything else. but um, And then on top of that, our agency, every time we consider switching shotgun ammo we pattern all of our shotguns that are issued for, you know, maybe we need to make an adjustment or, you know, we need to find that compromise between slugs and buck, you know, if that makes sense. And I I don't mean like, well, you need to hold three targets over. I mean, okay, we need to dial this in with the slugs and then figure out if there's any hold off with buckshot. And fortunately, the ammo, the ammo manufacturers, especially with flight-controlled buckshot and and reduced recoil slugs, you can get really close these days. Whereas twenty years ago, that was you sighted in with slugs and then you held off for buckshot, you know. And and we will we'll actually go out and pattern them at you know seven, ten, fifteen, and twenty-five yards with buckshot, which like I didn't realize that wasn't a thing. <laughs> so, uh, or it wasn't as common. Uh, so I guess I, I'm blessed, but, uh, absolutely. I mean, what you just described is one of the most progressive programs I have yet encountered in doing this because, you know, I, I first shotgun 360, we did a few years ago. We had some folks there, um, from, uh, from New Jersey and, uh, they sent, instructors to this class simply to help them learn how to teach people shotguns better because they were getting people coming out of the academy and they couldn't immediately get them qualified on patrol rifles. And it was a 40-hour school and they had to have a certain number of people before they could run that school because it had to be full. Otherwise, they're not just going to run it on a constant rotational basis. That's expensive. So they were sending people out into the world with just a pistol and they were giving them shotguns and they were giving them shotguns because they were academy trained on the shotgun and the academy training on the shotgun was 12 familiarization rounds. No score. You simply had to make the gun go bang 12 times with no accountability without the guns that you were actually going to be using on the street because the way this had been done, this is how it had been done all along. And so the academy said, yep, they're checked off on shotguns. We can't send these people out into the world with a weapon that fires 55 grains because that would be dangerous. No, no, no. Here, hand them this thing that fires a full bloody ounce with multiple projectiles because somebody else clicked the liability box to say they were good to go with that. Yeah. Right? Right. That's more the typical experience. What you're talking about is you're talking about a department or a group of people 
that at some point they really knew their stuff and they really did their homework and you inherited that legacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that the shotguns are being phased out, that that legacy, that intelligence, that kind of excellent program is going to die out if well, somebody doesn't pick up the mantle and carry it forward. Yeah, and, and we still, you know, Oklahoma's uh, cleat, some people call it, you know, post or T. Cole. There's, there's 101 different right. state names for uh, law enforcement certification, but... Uh, I don't know that it's still in the cleat curriculum that you have to qualify with a shotgun. I don't know if it's just fam fire or what, but our agency still takes these kids through like 30, almost 30 hours of, of, uh, shotgun, you know, maintenance and zeroing and patterning and, uh, you know, indoor ready, outdoor ready, combat loading, car ready. We give them the, the full gamut and, a lot of them brain dump it immediately on graduation and, and get into the next patrol rifle school that they can. And that's fine. Uh, but some people really have an affinity towards it and it seems to be less and less, even though like we talked about earlier, we have the equipment to solve a lot of those little niche problems with the shotgun. And, um, I'll throw one out really quick and you, you can call me crazy, but, uh, Magpul, when they came out with their stock, I thought that is ingenious. There's something that a user level, he doesn't have to know how to use a belt sander. He doesn't have to understand length of pull geometry. He can take spacers out and put them back and shuffle them around until it fits. And, uh, that was one product from them that I thought that's brilliant. Um, you can correct me on that one. No, when, when I first saw the Magpul stock, um, when they came out with that, everything was Magpul, right? There was Magpul all over the place. Mm-hmm. The Magpul DVDs were all over the place. I was so sick of seeing Magpul stuff. I thought that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. It can't possibly work that well. I have no interest in it. And then I tried one and now all my shotguns wear one. That is one of the most intelligently designed pieces of equipment they've ever put out. And it works beautifully. The length of pull is right. The wrist angle is good enough where some of the things that you would have wanted a pistol grip for on a shotgun, you know, guys doing entry work. If you've got a shield and a shotgun, that was a thing people did. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but they did it. Yep. Um, Or if you need to, you know, do something with the other hand, the wrist angle on that and the way the comb is laid out is good enough that you don't need the pistol grip. You can get really good solid support by having the comb up against your forearm yeah. with still having a good solid wrist angle to be able to use it. Um, the way it can be uh, adjusted to fit the person easily with no gunsmithing required, you move a couple screws, you throw in a piece of plastic and roll. It was a very, very well done. And now uh, all my Remingtons have one on there. And even my Berettas, my 1301s have yeah. a Magpul adapter and Magpul stock on them. It, it is a huge difference in being able to use the gun effectively. When I see someone in class struggling, I get them off of whatever the heck they brought, either because it broke or it's not serving them well. <laughs> I put them on my gun and they use it and go, uh, this is really, really cool. This works really well. Yeah, it does. Um, so that that's a, that's a massive benefit right there. Pistol sights. 
some sort of rifle style sight. I'm, I'm with you. I don't really, I'm not a fan of the ghost rings very much. They work, but I really prefer the pistol style sights. You know, the Remington 870 barrel has a setup where the uh, rear sight is mounted about halfway down the barrel. So you have a pistol style sight picture that folks are pretty used to yep. because they see that when they do the weapon, they do the most training with is their pistol. It looks just like that. And then they can, they can use that effectively when that's set up properly. Uh, that allows you to use that shotgun and anything from point blank out to 150 yards. Very, very well. If you've got the slug set up for it, um, Nowadays, we actually have much, much better because back in the day, the optics that were out there and mounting a full size aim point of a shotgun didn't work very well. Right. It always sat too high. The optic was too big. Now you have mounts like the Scalar Works. You have the uh, Aridus Industries Crom where you can take a micro aim point. You can put it on there. And I got to tell you, when it comes time to use slugs at distance, it's really difficult to beat what you can get out of one of those red dots. I mean, you can make with the right slug, you can shoot the same hole at 50 or even a hundred yards when you've got the red dot on your side, as opposed to trying to use the irons. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that, the surefire four ends, which help you have an effective, because if you're policing or if you're at home defense and you have a long gun, that long gun needs a light. It needs to have some form of white light because you have to be able to discriminate between threats and non-threats. You have to be able to articulate why you took the shot at the moment that you did being able to say, well, he was pulling a Lorsen out of his waistband. How do you know that? Because I was bouncing light off the ground because you don't have to point the light at people that were mounted on a gun. You don't have to point the gun at them to use the light. I could see what he was doing because this great big light that's on my gun, I had it in a low ready position I was bouncing light off the ground. I could see what his hands were doing, and that's when I knew I had to take the shot. Stuff like that has made it roll. Takes the old, uh, you know, because buckshot was like a, a 10 to 15-yard thing before. Right. You, know, you were extremely limited in what you could do with it because of being accountable for your patterns. Well, now you have federal flight control, and basically with most shotguns inside 20 yards, you can very easily keep all your pellets on a, you know, inside the vitals of a typical man without having to worry about pellets going off and hitting somebody they're not supposed to hit. You have better shotguns now than we did then. The old 870 is still out there, but you have semi-automatics like the 1301 that are softer shooting. Their Glock 19 levels are reliable. Uh, they don't really care much how you maintain them. You you swirl all of this together, and the shotgun is a much more effective, capable weapon now than it's ever been without giving up any of the things that make it a fight stopper at short range. It's a much better gun, and now we have a bunch of people who are like, no, no, I want an AR-15. <laughs> um, and I'm, I've got nothing against ARs, and I've got nothing against rifles, but... Being in policing, you understand the environment we're living in right now. Mm -hmm. How many times do you really want to have to shoot somebody? Zero times, if possible. Zero times. But if you do have to shoot them, does it look better that you press the trigger once or that you press the trigger five, six, seven, ten times to try and get the result that you need? Yeah, completely agree. Um, and that is... Uh, 
that is one area that I think the shotgun holds a very special place for me. I've had I've had two very dear friends in in engagements with shotguns. Neither one of them went past one round of buckshot. Right. Neither one. That's, and I mean, that's it was typically what it takes. Just one shot to, to quote Tom Gibbons. The, the idea is, you know, pop flop. You hit somebody <laughs> with a you hit somebody with a full load of buckshot, and it tends to be something that absolutely alters what they're doing. They are rendered in unable to continue. It doesn't convince them to stop. Where that's kind of what a lot of pistol rounds are doing, right? Mm-hmm. There are people who are shooting them, are shooting them without a whole lot of skill. They may be making hits, they may be not making hits, and there are certainly plenty of times you can see this on police dash cam where somebody soaks up five, six, seven rounds of pistol and goes, ow, 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 I'm done now. As opposed to one press of the trigger with a shotgun and they're not able to continue hostilities anymore. They are physically incapacitated, which is what we're looking to do. I don't want somebody to have the choice of whether or not they keep fighting with me. When it gets to the point where I'm pressing a trigger, their decision-making is over. I'm right. in the catbird seat now. I am turning you off. You are no longer going to be able to continue a fight. You can certainly do that with a pistol if you hit the right stuff repeatedly. And, you know, I've seen you shoot a handgun. You're, you're a pretty fair hand with one. Um, I got to ask you a question. Yeah. When you're shooting a string of fire, five, six, seven rounds, um, you probably have a good solid, let's say 10 rounds. You probably got a solid eight shots out of that ten round string, right? That's that's you, you, pretty. You don't sub- ever drop them. Well, <laughs> that's kind of subjective. I mean, right? Sometimes you know the sun even shines on a dog's butt once in a while, right? <laughs> so we all pull a rabbit out of the hat. But I would say, you know, I'm a consistent high nineties shooter on any given you know, test, right. super test, whatever, whatever name we want to call it. And it involves a B eight at some given distance and some given exactly. time. Um, but I read something years ago and it was in a patrol rifle, uh, patrol rifle school that I attended. And I said, you know, a veteran officer confronted with a known armed suspect will always go to a long gun will always favor a long gun. And I went, I wonder why that is. And the more I start being around veteran cops, the more you realize they've shot a lot of people with handguns and went, well, I got to go to court next week to use the parlance of, you know, cop work, meaning that dude is still doing, still breathing air, et cetera. Um, And your veteran officers, anytime there was a known armed suspect, were in the trunk of the car, ripping shotguns out of racks, et cetera. And that always stuck with me. And, and granted, this is in the era of the 40 is better than the 45 and the nine will bounce off of clothes. You you know what I'm saying? To set the stage. Um, and, and before patrol rifles. So what did we grab for long guns? Shotguns. Um, so yeah, to answer your question though. Yeah. For me, I'm a solid eight out of 10 any given day on, on good days. I'm a 10 out of 10 guy, but uh, right. that's not somebody shooting back at me either. 
Right. You know, right. static and, and not, control. Not to belabor the point, but you're a considerably better pistol shot than I would say easily 99.9 repeating percent of police officers who are on patrol. Well, I appreciate that. I'm going to write that down in a book somewhere. So I <laughs> I've seen it. you shoot. <laughs> I've seen you shoot, right? And you're, you're a competitive shooter as well. So you have invested a lot of your time and a lot of your effort into becoming, at a minimum, extremely proficient with your sidearm, with a handgun in general, with your sidearm. But as um, a cop, and I'll temper that, with right. as a cop, I knew probably better than nine out of we're going to say 9.99% chance I was going to be out somewhere doing something without a long gun immediately in my, my, my ability to, to put it into action. So I invested a lot of time making sure that I was really good with what I had that was convenient. If that kind of makes sense. Absolutely. That's, I've always been annoyed when people say a pistols for fighting your way back to a rifle. It's like, okay, cool. In a military context, maybe that makes sense. But for your typical citizen and your typical police officer, you have what's on you when game time starts, and you're not picking when that is. Right. The other guy picks when that is. Outside of a few very narrow circumstances, the equipment you got on your body at the moment of kickoff is what you have to fight with. And that means a pistol most of the time. Mm-hmm. There's no better example of that than, than a Miami firefight. Yes. Right. You're supposed to fight your way back to. They did not have the opportunity to fight their way back to long guns. The only long gun that played a role in that fight on the FBI side was the one that was literally in the hands of an FBI agent when the vehicle crash happened. Yep. Because that's the way this works. There are tons of dash cam video out there of police officers who have a patrol rifle or a shotgun in their cruiser, and it might as well be in Timbuktu for all the good it did them. Because when the shooting starts, what you've got immediately within wingspan is all you're going to have, probably, unless it's one of those exceptional, you know, other end of the bell curve kind of fights. So the, the point is, you've invested a lot of time and effort to be as good as you are with a pistol, and you still drop them, don't you? Oh, yeah. You still miss. It still happens. And guess what? It happens to world champions. It happens to combat experienced veterans. It happens to everybody. So when we start talking about delivering that minimum of five shots, it's going to take to make someone stop who's dedicated to fighting you to the death. And as a police officer, you know, those guys exist. They get mad and they decide I'm not going back and they'll take you first. Those guys exist and you have to make them stop. When we start talking about the five well-aimed shots it takes to make them stop, and we consider how many times you have to get the process of firing a shot correct in order to land the hits that you need. I take it over to my 12 gauge and you know how many times I have to get it right with that? Just once. Just once. So this goes beyond just what gun do you like? When we start talking about the situation that citizens and police officers face, you are almost always by yourself. There may be other people with uniforms around you, but how many times are they super effective at helping you out in the situation? Most of the time, a police officer is stuck by themselves dealing with multiple threats, and they're doing it with uh, weapons that are hard to shoot and pretty ineffectual at making someone stop. 
if I can take that person and I can put a 12 gauge in their hands that's set up properly, that they know how to use, suddenly now they have a force multiplier and they're not nearly as outnumbered as they might've been. Because when you can pretty much guarantee somebody's going to be out of the fight by pressing the trigger one time, and it takes you half a second, that's another thing. How long does it take you to deliver five to seven shots that it's going to take to knock one guy out of the fight? If you're shooting quarter-second splits, you're talking about a minimum of a second and a quarter, right? Mm -hmm. Second and a half for somebody who's got a draw as well as developed as yours, we're probably talking somewhere between a second and a half to two seconds. How much time does that give the guys, the other guys, this guy's with to maneuver on you or deliver fire on you? As opposed to I can take a well-trained shotgunner in half a second, they can deliver a fight stopping payload on one guy in another half second, they can have delivered another one to another guy. So in that same second where you're just getting started with your pistol, they've already dropped two bad guys. Uh, that might be a significant benefit to someone who's trying to protect themselves and stay alive, either in their home or on patrol. Well, man, Tim, you're giving me goosebumps, and I'm I'm ready to go pull my Benelli Super 90 out of the <laughs> safe right now. Uh, which, um, not to not to switch gears too much out of police work, but um, I own two shotguns to this day. One is a Beretta 686 over and under 20 gauge, and one is a uh, Benelli Super 90. I have had a bevy of 870s in rotation throughout the gun safe. They come, they go. You know, that's it's. Right. I don't. To me, they are they are the Glock 19 of the uh, shotgun world. They just. I have no attachment to them. They just. They they do as advertised and. When somebody offers me more money for it, it goes away. It's, right. you know, uh, but I've always lent myself towards the Benelli Super 90 and specifically the older M1s um, just because I went through advanced shotgun training and firearms instructor school with that gun. And the surprising thing was I, I did a kind of a Pepsi Coke test challenge with them. And I could run the Benelli about three one hundredths of a second faster than I could run an eight seventy. So honestly, that's that's so minuscule. It's not even unless you have a timer. It's not even worth really exploring too much. Um, but that being said, for home, like let's take it out of the police context for home defense, semi-auto or or pump? So the answer is yes. And it's going, Perfect. To depend, it's going to depend on your situation. The reason why pumps exist and make a really good option to this day, um, the simplicity of use. When you set the pump up properly, you pick it up, you run the action, and you're immediately ready to go, right? And running the action is an action you have done to make it repeat in the first place. So you're literally doing something you have a lot of reps on. So now in, in police work, they have them set up differently for home defense. I advocate what I call cruiser ready. That is you have essentially hammered down on an empty chamber and then you load the magazine with however many shells you're going to put into it. So that when you pick up the gun, you immediately run the action and now you're ready to shoot. 
Um, and again, you're making, you're making my agency sound awesome because uh, that's right. how we teach them to run them. So, and that's 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 the most effective way I think. There there is cruiser safe where you've got the hammer back and you have the action locked and the safety's engaged. So in order to use this thing that people aren't familiar with in the first place, you have to go through three or four discrete actions, only one of which they actually sort of remember, which is make the four end thing go back and forth. Semi automatics have some advantages. Um, a properly set up third, the the cream of the crop right now is the Beretta thirteen oh one. It's the finest defensive shotgun on sale. It shoots soft. It's super reliable. Every shot semi-automatic, though, has its own little idiosyncrasies. You have shotguns that have shell cutoffs and shotguns that don't. The safeties are in different places. The shell release latches are in different places. So there's this more complex manual alarms you have to learn and have to remember. For me, it's not a problem. I can pick up dang near anything and work with it. But I'm putting a lot more rounds to these things than your typical user is. So that simplicity of action, and what I do is I teach people in class to set up their semi-automatic the exact same way they set up the pump. So they literally pick it up, run the action, and go. Um, but remembering how to get it in that condition can be a bit of an issue. The pumps are fairly universal. right? So which one you pick needs to be based on, first of all, what are you going to be able to use well under stress? The pump is simple enough that if you set it up right, you pick it up, run the action, and go. Tends to be where more people come down on it because most people aren't practicing with these things as much as they should. So let's let's talk uh, payload. I've one of the other one of the other reasons that I'm kind of stuck in 1993 Benelli M1 is it. I, I don't know if it's recoil spring or what, but I it digests any ammo except for low aluminum I, I say aluminum when i'm gonna say aluminum brass but uh aluminum based trap loads it will not run anything else right. that's got brass that thing chews it up and i can put you know i can put a number eight on top of a three inch mag on top of a slug on top of a reduced recoil buck it doesn't matter it just and i only know that because i've done it uh but let's talk you know payload for home defense what what what's your your two cents on that one so i, I would imagine that uh, you had that vanilla for quite some time did you buy it brand new or used my dad bought it as a policeman with 15 years on uh, after a demo he bought a, a 1993 benelli m1 it's still got hk sterling virginia on the side right um and that gun has been my duck gun, bird gun, defensive gun. I've got a couple of In other of words, you shot it a lot, and those springs have had time to sort of wear in so that now yes. it is reliable with anything you feed it, yeah. except for the, the trap loads that are meant for over and unders. Right. Uh, most semi-automatics, uh, especially most Benelli's, are much pickier than that. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about my preferred payloads, I prefer to use Federal Flight Control buckshot the low recoil version and the low recoil version is not there just to not punish people with recoil um buckshot spreads out because as it's going down the barrel this shot bounces into the barrel and the shot bounces into each other and as the shots being moved forward after the start of the charge you've got pellets smashed into each other because pellets have inertia and so the pellets nearest the powder powder charge start moving first they smash into the ones in the middle and then both sets of them smashed into the ones up top. So you get flat spotted. And, you know, if you've ever 
I don't know that anyone's ever done this, but if you want to understand the impact of that, you take a golf ball, put it on a belt sander, flatten out one side of it, and then take a whack at it and see what it does. I recommend you do that where you have lots and lots of space because that thing can go all over the place. It's not stable. So reducing the powder charge and reducing the velocity these things are going actually reduces the amount of deformation you get and the amount of impact into each other because everybody's broken a set of billiard balls, right? You rack them up, you mm-hmm. hit the cue into it. That's what's happening down the shotgun barrel if you don't have an intelligently designed wad and you've got them moving too fast. So the Federal Flight Control has a wad that stays with the shot column longer to keep it corralled. It's reducing the amount of impact of the pellets having to each other. And result of all that being you have a much, much tighter pattern. So you have a solid concentration of shot. Um, there's, there's phenomenon with some poor performing buckshots where you can get a halo of shot everywhere except where you actually put your sight and fired, right? Yeah, I've seen that, that one. kind of it, it, it happens fairly often. We call it the donut of death. Because if I put my sight somewhere and I press the trigger and we see this even with ARs, that's one of the benefits shotguns have over ARs, especially in close range. When you have an AR with an optic, what do you have to account for at close range? Offset. Offset. It's a thing, right? Uh, well, guess how much offset I have with my 870? None. Which leads me to tell people that if I had to make a close range entangled shot, which, by the way, is extremely common in home defense situations, folks. Um, I would much rather have a 12 gauge in my hand and my AR and I'm a pretty fair hand with an AR as well, but I don't have to consider offset. So when we put our, our bead or our sight up there and we press the trigger and we hit everything except what we're aiming at, that's suboptimal. Uh, you don't have to worry about that concentration problem typically with flight control. It all pretty much goes where the sight is and it all hits the stuff that you actually want to hit. So you put your sight on the chest of a threat you press the trigger, you put a full pattern into the chest of a threat, which means you don't have to worry about pellets going off and hitting people or things you're not authorized to shoot. And oh, by the way, it's probably going to make him stop whatever he was doing in the first place. I have a, a, a funny aside about that that flight control. Uh, when it first hit the market and it mainstream, uh, I disassembled a couple of them just because mm-hmm. I was an instructor and I could. And I was like, hey, the shot cup goes all the way around the payload. Yeah, that's kind of unique. And when we patterned them at seven and 10 yards, we thought something was wrong <laughs> because there was no measurable quote pattern. It was a big hole. And I right. thought, Hmm. And then we back off to about 12 yards. And all of a sudden I see the wad go off into space and I pick it up and it's got little wings that pop out that basically eject the payload as it slows the wad down. And I thought, Man, somebody really put a lot of engineering into that. And, of course, at that point, we start seeing noticeable, definable pattern. But it was like inside of 10 yards, it might as well have been a four-inch hole. And I, I, you know, so uh, as compared to the previous full-powered loads that we would shoot, where you would start to see noticeable pattern at at seven yards. And uh, so anyway, just a little aside, but. That's 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 important because, you know, and you've heard this, the, the old saw was that you could expect buckshot to spread about an inch per yard. Mm-hmm. Right. Except that that's not how that worked. It was not a linear thing. No. It was exponential. 
<laughs> yeah. right? You got almost no spread up to about somewhere between five and seven yards. And then after that, it started to get real ugly real fast. Right. Right. That was your typical buckshot experience. And that's why a lot of people said, well, it's not terribly useful because I can't, you know, how do you intelligently judge the distance when you're in a, in a fight situation? How do you intelligently judge whether or not you're 10 yards or 12 yards from a threat? At 10 yards, all your pellets are going to stay on, dude. At 12, you start to drop some off, dude, because you have some badly performing buckshot. So what you do is you don't go past 11 yards shooting this. Right. Yeah. Good luck with that. I was I was right. actually trained on hostage shots back to 10 yards with buckshot, knowing a pattern, which wow. I thought I will never try this, but... Uh, and it wasn't so much that it was a host, uh, like a realistic hostage shot as much as it was, how well do you know the pattern of your gun with your ammo? And it was more of a proficiency. And, uh, you know, to which I gave the, the speech, hey, if I got a hostage shot, I'm just going to drop a slug in the mag tube, rack the gun, and <laughs> we're in business. Um, right. The old right. select a slug, which I loved with the Benelli because there was no put it in the mag tube. It was just drop it in and go. Uh, but all of that to say that all goes back to knowing your gun, knowing your ammo, patterning it. And, and all of these seem to be kind of uh, not, I won't say dying arts, but they're almost like lost art forms at this point. Uh, with there, there's so much bad information yes. out there because I mean I can't tell you how many times there is a there is a social media group that is dedicated <laughs> to defensive shotguns that is populated by people who don't know a damn thing about defensive shotguns and whenever a picture gets posted of someone who has rifle style sights or God forbid a dot on their shotgun I always see the lull you don't aim shotguns and uh, you know I'm not a great champion trap shooter i'm not going to tell you how to shoot trap um i have shot a few birds and a few clays in my day and uh I, I, you kind of have to aim those too but what the way you're accomplishing that is through your mount and by shooting a pattern of shot that's 10 to 15 times the size of the thing that you're trying to hit neither of which represents what we're doing with buckshot inside a typical room that's about five yards you absolutely have to aim them um so that kind of bad information is so prevalent and it's so pervasive that reasonable practices seem to have just completely, because, you know, I, I ask people, are you accountable for the shots that you fire? Yes. With just a nine millimeter, do you think that somewhere in the law there's a, well, you were using buckshot, so ollie ollie oxen free. We don't care anymore that you hit little Susie down the road. Uh, let's think reasonably about this. You don't become less accountable for what you do because you were using a scatter gun. And if anything, you know, think about this. You, you've been in court a time or two. You know some of the questions that have to be answered, right? Uh, officer, why did you use that gun and that ammunition? That's the gun I was issued. That's the ammunition I was issued. If you use it inside the confines of circumstances where it was a justified use of force, Hold on. Under the under the legal constraints of the Constitution. I lost you for about five seconds there. I, I sometimes do that. I freeze up. <laughs> so if you're using the gun you were issued, the ammo you were giving, I was doing what I was told with the equipment I was told inside the parameters I was trained on. Right? That doesn't mean you're happy with the outcome, but that's a 
that's a line of defense you have. If you're ordinary Joe, why did you use that gun? Why did you use that ammunition? You have to be able to explain that. Right. Right. Well, I use that gun because I saw this stuff on the internet. Uh, Why did you end up with pellets that went into your neighbor's house? Why didn't you aim better? Well, you don't aim a shotgun. I mean, how, how well is that actually going to start working once you have to be accountable in front of a jury? Right. So there's so much bad information and it's so pervasive out there that it, it stands in the way of reasonable use of it. And that's another reason why people are eschewing it, because they don't want the complication. It's like uh, that just seems like a lot for me to have to deal with. Yeah. So that that that's a problem. We're, we're fighting stupidity when we start talking about shotguns because you've got literally the guy who's president of the United States right now said, you know, you just buy a shotgun and start shooting at the door. Right. No, no. And I tell people, you know, it's not a politics thing, although I do have my political, uh, do have my political preferences, but can we agree that we probably shouldn't take medical advice from presidents? We (laughs) damn sure shouldn't take self-defense advice from presidents. Right. Right. Politicians don't know what they're talking about, which is why they shouldn't be in charge of anything. But that kind of bad information is out there and people believe it. Right. So you're having to fight all of that when we start talking about this subject. Well, my last and this will be the kind of the round out of the show. um, Birdshot for home defense. I have heard this so many times and. My answer to that is how many times have you picked a quail up off the ground after you have shot it and it was still alive? It's not even good at shooting birds. Um, and, and I've had people argue with me to the nth degree about that. And I'm like, look, dude, there's there's enough low recoil buck shot out there that it should not even be a factor anymore. Um, and I can I can do better than that. Go ahead. Um, in my... In my home defense shotgun class, because this is a problem that's out there, I very conclusively demonstrate to people why it's a terrible idea. There was a shooting, an active shooter in the Pacific Northwest, where an individual had a shotgun that was loaded with birdshot. He shot an individual outside of a building at point-blank range, and it was immediately lethal. Uh, because, you know, when what comes out of the barrel of that shotgun at a couple of inches, the effect it has on tissue can best be described as traumatic amputation. He goes inside the building, and this is where the video picks up. He's waving it around, trying to get respect, and the people inside are utterly flummoxed because this is not inside their wheelhouse. They're trying to process what's going on. A An oblivious co-ed descends down a set of stairs and walks about 8 to 10 feet away from him, and he raises a shotgun, and he shoots her with a full load of birdshot at about 8 to 10 feet. And you know what she does? Runs away. She's, she stops, looks down, reaches into her pocket, pulls out her phone, and walks away calling 911. And my statement to them is, now, this is out there. The video is out there. We can even maybe link it in some of the, the neat internet stuff that this happens. If you cannot rely on birdshot to reliably put down an oblivious co-ed, it's probably a pretty poor idea for a 200-pound felon breaking into your house. Well, Right. I have I have worked one count them one birdshot fatality, and I've told this story before. And uh, the birdshot had absolutely no bearing on the outcome. The wad that asphyxiated the gentleman by sticking in his trachea 
was the fatal the fatal wound um, right. several minutes after the fact uh, but we don't want to rely on the wad to finish the fight um, now granted it was gross it was horrible it was a messy 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 crime scene uh, right. but the bottom line in the whole thing was the thing that stopped said bad guy was a chunk of plastic that that shut his airway off that to me borders on like act of God. That just, that was that dude's day. Uh, it right. w- there was no predictable outcome. Now, granted he stopped doing the criminal activity he was doing at the time because he had just gotten peppered with birdshot. He died a short time later outside. Uh, but all of that to say, I think birdshot's a bad idea. And I like your example of that. And any time shotguns come up that, that always seems to be um, a big uh, touchy point with, well, you know, just load your wife's 20 gauge with birdshot as a home defense. I'm like, right. Because we, we don't want the poor deer to have to actually shoot somebody. Right. It's like, it's like people think you can shoot somebody a little bit. That's not how this works. Right. If, if you need to shoot someone, you need to shoot someone. Right. If you don't need to shoot someone, put the freaking gun down. It's the wrong tool. It is for a very specific set of circumstances. And in those very specific set of circumstances, you can't play around with this. You have to end the threat because this person's doing something so heinous that if you don't, you will be maimed or killed or someone you love will be maimed or killed. And if you're not showing up to that, ready to absolutely do what has to be done, you're messing up from the get-go. I cannot rely on this person's pain tolerance. And they're thinking about, well, if I took birdshot, I, I, I wouldn't keep fighting. Guess what? The dude you're shooting ain't like you. He's not wired like you. He's not motivated like you. He may get ticked. And you know this because you're a police officer. How often have you seen bad guys commit acts of violence because they were just enraged by the lack of cooperation of the victim? And it was their fault because they didn't give up the money fast enough or they didn't do what they were told fast enough. And you shoot somebody with something ineffectual. He realizes he ain't dead yet. And you ain't cooperating. What's his next step likely to be? Yeah. Right. I'm not I'm not going to bet my future or my family's future on maybe birdshot will convince him that keeping this up is a bad idea. Maybe it will. I'm not pressing the trigger for maybe I'm pressing the trigger to guarantee some stuff. Right. Right. So any bird hunter has had to ring the necks because guess what? Birdshot doesn't kill birds. It knocks them out of the sky because their bones are delicate. Their tendons are delicate. It makes it where they can't fly very well. They crash. And that's usually what kills them. And you have to go up and wring their neck half the time because the fall at the end didn't always get the job done. Why then would I try and use this on a dude who's been working out in the state pen? It's yeah. a terrible idea. So the last one that's a pet peeve of mine is the cut shell. And I'm sure you know, you're familiar with that link, that lingo. Absolutely. Um, and my defense on that one, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't try it. I have done it under controlled circumstances, but it's the score behind the payload between the wad and the powder charge to score a piece of the plastic to where basically that payload comes out as a solid slug. Um, not a solid slug, but basically it stays intact. The crimp of the shell doesn't go. And right. And historically I've found that it works about 50% of the time. 
Exactly. Because exactly how deep you cut the shell, right? There, there's a yep. learning curve to being able to do it effectively. And oh, by the way, the odds that that's going to extract properly and allow your shotgun to be a repeater, pretty freaking thin. So instead of using, you know, ready-made, completely capable munitions that are widely available, because even in the ammo drought, you could get some buckshot, right? So instead of doing something sensible like that, I'm going to start playing around with trying to cut shells and hope that's going to work out well for me, right? I, no, I've, I've always a bad idea. I've always taken it from the uh, the side of, hey, that's a bad idea, and it gets worse when you have to go defend that in court. Way worse. Well, it's 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 not likely to work reliably because if you've got a magazine tube filled with cut shells and you start racking them in and out, how well is that going to work out in the long term? Uh, if that it's movie. the end, right? If it's the end of the world and there's literally no other ammunition available. I can see that, but uh, so far we have not run into the zombie apocalypse. So maybe just buy some decent buckshot, right? Or some decent slugs, if that's decent the- buckshot, decent slugs. Exactly. Do do something that makes sense before we start going to, you know, end of the world. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm I'm foraging for you know foraging for my food kind of thing, right? Right. Well, I think that that kind of rounds it out. Uh, man, we covered a lot of a lot of bases enough that it warrants probably an episode two on what is Tim Chandler's favorite shotgun setup and why. Um, I think we'll have to save that one for another episode. But uh, where can we, where can people find you? That most of the people that tune into the show are going to know, but uh, on the off chance that somebody doesn't. Um, What's what's a good way to check you and uh, your your class schedule and shotgun schedule, et cetera? Cool. I teach with uh, three outfits because apparently I haven't picked up a fourth yet. Um, I, I might be okay at this instructor thing if I'm in that kind of demand, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll let that one lie as it is. But I teach with FPF training. Think of front sight, press, follow through training. I teach with 360 performance shooting. That's me and my buddy Ashton. Uh, that's kind of where we've become known doing shotgun stuff. Uh, you know, we're, we're better at pistols than we have with shotguns. Because, but since so few people are in the shotgun realm, you know, it's kind of being uh, the, uh, the the oldest kid. And, you know, it's like everybody else was held back in sixth grade and we're the advanced student kind of thing. Um, and I also teach with justified defensive concepts. Um, all of those outfits have social media, Facebook, Instagram, that kind of thing. All of them. Um, are out there searchable on the web. So our schedules are out there. So you can find what you want if you want to learn some shotgun stuff or if you even want to see what a couple of us hillbillies have to say about pistols, you can come see us on that too. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Tim. I really appreciate it. Um, Tim and I's schedule finally lined up and, uh, you know, all things scattergun. And I don't think we covered all things scattergun just something scattergun there's so much to i'm gonna say it again guys so much to unpack all right <laughs> a reminder check out our sponsors excess sites ccw safe get 10 percent off your membership enter off duty 10 at checkout edc belt company 
the Guardian Conference right around the corner. Sign up. I want to see you there. Uh, and the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway coming uh, weekly. Giving away some cool stuff every week. And uh, you need to be a part of that by signing up weekly. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.